Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here, as always, with Chris Winningham. Now that you've found us, make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast provider. That way you'll get all of our old episodes as well as all of our new episodes as soon as they post. This is, as we always do, three per week here on the flagship. This is number three, so make sure you check out the other two, Nikias Duncan, uh, myself, and Greg Sylvander, did a podcast from Charlotte. Where we're recovering the All-Star game. We actually have two in the can from there. Check that out. The five things we want to see from the Heat the rest of the season. We did agree on a lot of it, actually, and I think it agrees with most fans. I'm not sure it agrees with Pat Riley, but we'll see what the Heat decide to do over the last 20-plus games. Also, check out an NFL podcast, Dolphins podcast, Chris and I did yesterday on the Dolphins and what tanking would actually look like for them also check out the other podcasts in our network new episodes today of miami heat beat with the voice of the heat uh mike biamonte three yards per carry um where they're breaking down everything that's going on with the dolphins and also the others we have our new website that's coming here in next two to three weeks we hope and uh we do think that that's going to be something that our listeners are going to enjoy where it's a one-stop shop for south florida sports but now we want to bring on a a longtime uh, friend in the business uh, one of the best NBA writers in the country. He's been a little bit all over the place the past few years, Washington Post, uh, Yahoo. Now he's at The Athletic. We love to have guests from The Athletic on. We kind of have a really good working relationship with them. And it's Michael Lee, or as he goes by, Mr. Michael Lee, still based uh, in the middle in the Mid-Atlantic area and is going to be at the Heat and Sixers on Thursday night. So we thought this would be a great place to open the second half. Mike, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Now, you've written some pieces over about Dwayne over the years. Um, we just devoted basically four days to Dwayne because he was the only thing he related <laughs> to cover in Charlotte other than the guy who follows us on Five Reasons Sports who won the Papa Shot contest uh, with the help of Shaq, uh, which was pretty cool. The Heat actually, that's probably the closest the Heat will get to a championship for the next 10 plus years. Uh, to win the Papa <laughs> shot uh, at, at halftime of, uh, of the All-Star game. But otherwise, it was Dwayne. You know, it was all Dwayne all the time. I, I thought that he looked uh, 
about as happy as I've seen him, actually. You know, he's, he's gone through some periods that people forget about that were pretty dark for him. But I, I feel like he's in a really good space. I gave him the opportunity a couple of times to sort of say that he wants to come back and he doesn't want to come back. I, I think he's he's pretty comfortable with how things have played out. He's had this farewell tour that he said he never wanted, that he seems to be enjoying the hell out of. Um, but you, you've talked to Dwayne over the years. Is this, in your view, the right ending for him? Yeah, um, I believe it is. And uh, I think that, you know, over the weekend, um, when they had the, the ceremony for him before the All-Star Weekend kicked off um, with Carmelo and, and Chris Paul <clears throat> were speaking about him, I think I think he was probably done last year. You know, I think he probably was like, I can end it here and I'll be good. Um, but uh, I guess Carmelo said he convinced him to come back for one more year to go out the right way. And one thing I've always you know, um, you know, noticed is or observed is that whenever a guy says he's he's retired or this is gonna be his last year, he's already done. He's already mentally checked out in terms of like that that really having that um that, that competitive thing where you just are just miserable with each loss and, you know, bad games like really set you down. I think right now he's just sort of enjoying it the last run. I remember when uh, Kobe Bryant, you know, announced his retirement. Um during the season with the Lakers. And I remember he was really struggling that year. He was having some really poor shooting nights, but he was in such a good mood. Like he was never really grumpy or angry about anything. He accepted the fact that he played with a, with, with a bunch of clowns and just <laughs> accepted the Lakers are going to be awful. And I think that when you reach that place, when you know that you have nothing more to prove and that, you know, this is the gravy, you know, um, you already got the mashed potato part of your career over with. Um, I think that's that's kind of what's happening with, with Dwayne. Uh, he knows that he's not winning a championship. He knows that he doesn't have to chase a ring. You know, I think, you know, going to Cleveland last year, the opportunity trying to play for something, play with LeBron one last time. Um, I think all that stuff's just kind of, that, that became less important for him. And I think now it's about leaving a legacy, leaving a mark on the game, leaving a mark on the heat, uh, leaving an impression on the players that are going to be coming up behind him. Um, those who play for the heat, those around the league who look up to him and admire him. So I think that, and I, I talked to him just last month, just about what all this means. And he was just really great just in terms of just how he really understands his impact and the influence that he had because guys are willingly, willingly telling him these things. Um, Bradley Bill, you know, told him that he was his idol and he's the reason why he wears number three. And, you know, all these things are kind of coming up now and guys probably feel more open and free to say these things because they don't view him necessarily as a competitor but just sort of as like a hero who's, who's going away. I wanted to ask you, though, about uh, the, the idea of uh, players that have difficulty towards the end of their career with, you know, you mentioned that motivation thing, but to me, uh, and, and Dwayne, you know, ha- has had good performances and he'll still say after the game, I'm ready to go because I, and my body, my body is the reason why, and that he still has something to give to the game, whereas other players are kind of phased out because teams don't want them. I think the Heat would more than welcome him back. I think other teams uh, might even bring him in, but uh, he just doesn't want to do that on a nightly basis. As someone who has been around those guys and has seen uh, what those difficulties can be like, can you explain to the lay folk why NBA players don't want to go through the days in between and the rest and recovery that it takes to get on the floor every night? You know, once you reach, reach a certain age, it gets harder to get up. It gets harder, and you have to do so much more to get your body ready, you know, in terms of, you know, working out after games and stretching and, and just your body, just all the stuff that you go in terms of treatment. I mean, that becomes a grind. That becomes a job within itself um, just to maintain and having the ability to go out there and compete each day. So, and then you go out there and play, and you, you feel sore and you're hurt all over again. 
you got to just keep doing it. I mean, anybody who knows what it's like to be, you know, once you turn 35 or 40, for those who get there and you wake up one morning and you just got like a Charlie horse for no reason. And you just like, this is just what happens when you get old. Imagine being a supreme athlete and all of a sudden just having every, every knee, foot, every ailment that's ever, you know, um, held you back at any point in your career, just all of a sudden you start feeling pain there. And that's just sort of what happens. Um, and there's so many things that you kind of want to do on the court that you sort of have to mask because you can't do it the same way anymore. Um, you, you get tired of just having to overcompensate for some of your deficiencies. And I think, you know, when you reach that point where you're done, I mean, and you, and you know in your mind that you're done, I think that's a big step. You know, they always say that, you know, guys are the last ones, sometimes elite athletes are the last ones to figure out that the game is past them. But I think if you've already in your mind accepted the fact that the game isn't going the way you want anymore, um, it makes it easier to sort of, um, you know, check out and, and, and look toward the future uh, because you, you know that there's so much more to life now than just a game that you've dedicated, you know, everything to. I think, Michael, that most people um, put put Dwayne somewhere in that three to five range for all-time two guards. I, I think it kind of depends on where you put, uh, what position you put other players, like what position did Jerry West play, for instance. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I know Iverson has come up. I used to have this debate. It's funny. Our buddy Shandell and I used to fight about this all the time, about whether Iverson was <laughs> one or whether he was a two. I mean, I said he was a two. Uh, he said he was a one. And Eric then, Snow was the one. Right. If he was a one, what was Eric Snow? Because he well, definitely exactly. wasn't a two. Right. I mean, Eric Snow was the guy who brought the ball up the court and handed it to Iverson. And so we had Chandel and I used to have this debate. And then somehow one day at practice, we engaged Dwayne and LeBron in the debate and they didn't agree either. I think Dwayne agreed with me and LeBron agreed with Chandel. Uh, so I don't really know where you put Iverson. And frankly, I, I have Dwayne ahead of Iverson all time. I know a lot of some people don't, uh, but I just think <laughs> from an efficient standpoint, I, I, I don't think it's especially close. But let saying that Dwayne is in that space, three to five, somewhere around there. Um, and you know, Clyde Drexler is another one that gets named in there. Who, who's next at that position? It is because I, I guess Harden's playing it right, but again, it's another of those situations when Chris Paul's not there, mm-hmm. he's kind of playing the one. Uh, is Bradley Beal the, the you know, the because the two the, the next two, heir, yeah, because the two position has been one of the softer positions, uh, in the NBA, actually, uh, you know, traditionally yeah. and also recently i mean there are a lot more elite threes there are a lot more at this stage elite fours obviously elite points are right I, who, who's next is is beal the next guy can he be that kind of player um you know it's interesting because I, I just wrote about i wrote a story about this um that ran uh last week about where Dwayne wade um his true impact on the game is not just the fact that you know he has put up great numbers and won three championships in the scoring title it's that he is the last shooting guard to be the centerpiece of a championship team. And, you know, you got to look at it like this. When you talk about where does he rank all the time, I put him right there at three. Because right now, um, Jerry West was the first NBA Finals MVP. He won in 1969, and that was – but he we won in a losing effort. And I think most people consider Jerry West, you know, the logo and everything else. But the year that the Lakers finally won a championship, Will Chamberlain was the Finals MVP. So from 1969 all the way until 1991, you did not have a single shooting guard as the Finals MVP until you got Michael Jordan. So Michael Jordan went on to win, you know, six Finals MVPs over the next eight years. We know that. 
So then you have Dwayne Wade is next. Dwayne Wade is the next shooting guard to win finals MVP after Michael Jordan. And then Kobe Bryant won two more after that. So there are only three shooting guards in the history of the NBA to be the finals MVP um, and, be, and, be the, and be the best player on that team. I mean, there have been other guys. Joe Dumars won. You know, he, he won. But, you know, it was Isaiah Thomas's team. Joe, you know, was, you know, you know what I'm saying. Joe, Joe, everyone kind of viewed that as Isaiah Thomas's team. But um, Dwayne Wade was the centerpiece of that championship team because we know Shaq was fading at that point and we know how phenomenal he was during that finals run and especially the last four games and the 40 point games and the free throw games and all those all those crazy moments so when you look at it from that perspective um it's hard to not say it's hard to say that anybody Iverson or anybody else ranks ahead of him um he had the fact that he won two more championships with LeBron obviously LeBron was a better player than that you know, but that's still. I mean, you look at his, his resume. You can you can say somebody scored more, did more, but look what he did on the biggest stage in a championship round. It's there's only three guys that can that can take that claim. So to answer your next question, as a like who's next, I don't know if there is somebody who's next because I actually asked Dwayne about that and I asked him why you know there hasn't been another shooting guard who is sort of on that level in terms of being the, the leader of a championship team. And he said, well, basically it comes down to who is who is the best player in the game. And whoever the best player in the game is, that becomes the power position. And you can kind of go through the history of the NBA from big men, from Mike to Russell to Chamberlain to Abdul-Jabbar. You know, the best player is a big man, Shaq, Duncan, you know, Elijah Wan. You know, you name all these great big men, and that's really what you needed. You need to have an elite big man to win a championship. And, and MJ going to sort of shift that to then when MJ was the best, you had an era where shooting guard was sort of seen as the glamour position. You had so many guys from Drexler to Reggie Miller. And then, you know, when Jordan retired, that position was still elite because you had Iris and Kobe and Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady. And, you know, so you had all these great players, Ray Allen, at that position. Um, but it sort of faded once the rules changed in 2004 and Dwayne Wade sort of stepped in there, and he became that guy who took advantage of being a combo guard, you know, because, you know, he, his rookie year, he was basically the point guard on that squad with Eddie Jones and Lamar Odom and Karan, and, you know, they wanted to have the best best players on the floor, and that meant that Wade sort of had to be the facilitator, so he came in the league playing that role, and then just when they, they had to get rid of hand checks and pick and roll became the thing, that was right in his wheelhouse, and he took advantage of it. And now you can sort of see the evolution of the shooting guard position where it's not just a guy who you feed, who just hits shots, but he's actually a guy who's making plays for others and doing everything. And Wade sort of is the face of this new modern player that we see now, James Harden, a guy who sort of goes against just whatever traditional um, definition of a shooting guard is. But everybody kind of has to fit that role to be an effective shooting guard now, unless you're Clay Thompson and you're fortunate enough to play with Steph Curry, who's a point guard, but is kind of a shooting guard. Um, but he happens to have some good playmaking ability. Um, but just with the way that game is evolved, um, I don't know if there is anybody. And he made a great point to me. You know, there's nobody for him to pass the baton to, but he, it wasn't like anybody gave it to him. You know, he said, when I showed up, you know, Iverson wasn't giving me anything. Kobe wasn't giving me anything. I had to come and take it. 
And that's sort of what's happening now. Like James Harden is the MVP. He had any played shooting guard, but we've seen him in the postseason kind of flame out, especially the longer the series goes and longer the run goes for the Rockets. Um, so then there are other guys who may be on, in line, say Devin Booker or Donovan Mitchell or Bradley Bill, and those are guys who are coming up. But I don't think any of us are looking at those guys right now, and maybe it changes, but looking at those guys right now as being the best player in the game. And that's really what it takes to win a championship is having the best player in the game on your side. I want to introduce you to another great sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Brunt Insurance, where you can get all of your protection under one roof. They offer home, auto, commercial, and life insurance. They're licensed to write insurance for the entire state of Florida. That's Pensacola all the way down to the Keys. They've got multiple carriers for all the product lines to ensure you're paying the lowest rate in your area. I can speak to this personally because I reached out to Greg Brunt. He told me, he said, send me all of your insurance policies. So I sent him life. I sent him auto. I sent him condo. I sent him house. He looked at all of them and he says, this one you're doing okay. Let's leave this one alone. On two of the policies though, he saved me more than $700 and that's just for this six month term. So Greg can look at all your policies. He can find the right insurance company that will work for you, the right carrier, and he will get it done for you quickly and you'll get your money quickly. Also, he's a proud sponsor of the Home for Heroes program, which offers special discounts for first responders, teachers, military, and healthcare professionals. Takes that very seriously. Call Greg at 954-589-2204. That's 954-589-2204 or go to bruntinsurance.com. That's an amazing stat about the, the no two guard. And I do think that we, we think of two guards as more elite just because Jordan was, like you said, the best player in the league for you know more than a decade. And so it's, it, it became a glamour position. But even during Jordan's day, I mean, there really weren't a lot of guys who were close to measuring up to him. I mean, there was some talk for a couple of years that Dre I remember that Drexler was as good as him. That was a conversation. Yeah, Mitch Richmond. And, and, yeah. Mitch Richmond. And then, and then Reggie. But Reggie was dynamic in big moments. But Reggie as an all-around player was nowhere near Michael. But he, he got grouped no. in. He was always an all-star. He was there at the all-star game and, you know, he beat the Knicks. And so that got a lot of attention, but I mean, Reggie Miller was, I mean, where he ranks and even in two guards is probably, you know, somewhere close to eight, nine, 10. And, and he was never, you know, considered the best player uh, in the league. I want to transition a little bit off of this then, because as we're talking about the heat and what they can do this year, as you acknowledged, and we acknowledge, I mean, the heat are not winning a championship. They're probably not winning a first round series. It's almost certain they're not going to win a first round series. They might not make the playoffs. There are some in our network. Who yeah. think better if they don't, I mean that, that they don't make the playoffs and that Wayne doesn't have another moment, but at least you move up four or five picks potentially in the lottery standings. Um, but let's look at, at the Eastern conference now, as you see it, because it's very different than we've seen in past years where it was basically LeBron and then whatever pretender was challenging him. Right. So Indiana or Toronto <laughs> or, 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 you know, whatever, whatever team was going to fade. Anybody, Washington, yeah, you anybody Washington talking a lot of smack. I mean, there was always some team out there that you thought, okay, maybe uh, they could push LeBron and then, you know, then, then he would sweep them and that would be the end of it. Well, LeBron's gone, <laughs> but the top four in the conference are stronger than I can ever remember. So how what do you, as we five, are you going to, are you going to count Indiana in this? I mean, they're, they're third right now. Yeah, but without Victor, I, mean, I don't I, know. I know, I know the way they responded before the break. They've been playing really well. They've been playing really well without Victor. I mean, yeah, the one thing, and and I, again, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't think they're going to be there as a top four team in the end. But I think people have really overlooked the job that Nate McMillan is doing, the job that he's done, because we're saying, oh, they don't have Victor Oladipo, they have no chance. 
But I remember when they traded for Victor Oladipo and everybody was like, what a horrible deal. This is not going to work out. And then all of a sudden he became an all-star and now we're like, oh, he's great. And I think a lot of that is because, you know, the scheme they have, the system that they have, it's 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 good. Like Nate McMillan has really come to come around as a coach. I think this is one of his better coaching jobs this year. And, um, and the fact that they haven't completely collapsed um, you know, since Victor went down, I think it's a credit to him and just what they're building and the leadership they have with that young and those guys. And I think that they're, they're overlooked, but I mean, I get your point. So we can talk about the four, the other I just know that Indiana's there and they, and they have not fallen and it's been a couple of weeks since Victor went down. No question. Uh, no question. And, and we see sometimes that the team's best player goes out at the Ewing theory and everything else and, and other guys step up. But <laughs> I, I, I don't think even you're. But, but we know there, there are there are four teams that, that we that we we focus on and those should be the four teams we just uh, we can go. Uh, all right. So so right now, <laughs> right now, those you can throw Indiana if you want. But right now, those four teams, uh, which is the one that you think is uh, let's let's start this way. Best positioned to kind of grab that number one seed, you know, at this stage, I guess it'd be Toronto or Milwaukee, but then best position to actually do something significant in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I think that Milwaukee, the way they've been playing all year, I think they have a good chance of coming away with the number one seed. I think that they've, I mean, Toronto's right there and they've had a wonderful season. They, they might be able to catch them after making this Marcus Saw trade, which was a big move, but I like what Milwaukee did in adding Nikola Miritich. And I think they have a chance to come away with the number one seed. And I think the team that, I still think is going to come out of the East is Boston. You know, I know they've been really up and down all year and their chemistry has been off and um, they haven't been able to figure out how to get things going with all those guys who played well in the conference finals last year and expected bigger roles, but had to take a step back once Kyrie and Gordon Hayward came back. Um, I still feel like they just have the most overwhelming collection of talent in that in the postseason. It's going to be really difficult to beat them four times because they have so many guys that can step up and, and have, have a moment in the postseason. And it's going to be hard to really prepare for if it's going to be Jason Tatum this night or Hayward this night or even a Jalen Brown, you know, once you get past, you know, Kyrie Irving as, as sort of their best player. Um, and Al Horford just has a way of always showing up in the big moments. And um, I think that he, he'll probably do it again this postseason. I think as an NBA fan, seeing the Celtics playing the uh, Warriors in the finals would be a treat uh, just because talent-wise, you know that it's going to be a pretty fun matchup. Um, but I, I think those are the two teams. I think Milwaukee takes the regular season East, and the Celtics have the talent to take the, the whole conference when it gets down to it. But, you know, again, Toronto and, and Philly are going to make it hard too. So I, I can't think of a season um, where there's four teams in the East that I'm really excited about and that I'd be cool with any of them making it to the NBA Finals. Would you say that after we get past Golden State that they're the next four best teams in the league? Yeah, but I've sort of been feeling that even before the trade deadline when Philly got Tobias Harris and, um, and like I said, Toronto got Gasol. Now, I just feel like, you know, we always just say that the West is so much stronger, and it is deeper. There's a lot more talented teams and a lot more teams in the hunt in the West. But the teams in the East are really going for it now. And one of the things that always upset me during the, the last eight years of LeBron's run is that so many teams were so passive and so not aggressive in terms of trying to build a team to take him down. You know, that's, that hasn't been the case in the West, I think, that – there were always teams to try to say, okay, we're going to come at the Warriors. We're not just going to give it up. 
But in the East, it always just seemed to be this concession that, okay, LeBron's here. We got no shot. So we'll just wait till he's gone and really go for it. Now we see all these teams that are going for it. And, um, you know, if they had gone for it last year, they may have been able to take advantage of a weaker uh, Cavaliers team and already have a finals appearance on their resume. Um, but, you know, this is where we are now. Now that LeBron's gone, so many teams are just loading up because even if they don't win a championship, a finals appearance for any of these four teams would just be a huge monumental moment. Maybe not for Boston because they already have, you know, their um, their 17 championships. So that's not a big deal just to get there. They got to get there and win. Let's say for Philadelphia, a team that hasn't been to the finals in 18 years. For Milwaukee, a team that hasn't been to the finals in what, 45 years? Um, <laughs> or Toronto, a team that's never been to the finals. You know, getting there would be something you could sell your fans and it's going to be a memory they can hold on to forever. Um, so I think it's a good time to load up. And it's going to be really entertaining. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens too. Say if Toronto makes a run to the finals, does Kawhi Leonard walk away from that? Because you say, yeah, this is cool and all, but I really want to live in LA because it's too cold here. Or, <laughs> um, and I guess if he's a little while away from the Spurs, I guess he doesn't, he doesn't really care about walking away from the Raptors no matter how far they go. But, um, but yeah, so it's it, it's it's fun, man. I I love it. The only thing I I don't like is that the six, seven, eight teams are so bad and that um that first round is gonna just gonna be a, a slaughter um for somebody uh, for at least three for at least three of those series this is gonna make the second round that much more anticipated so is there any team uh, and not now that we've basically thrown the heat to the slaughter because they're one of those uh three teams <laughs> most likely I, I mean is there any I, chris and i have bounced this around we did a whole podcast on it uh, essentially is there is there any team in the east that that Miami could at least push, right? Like maybe D- Dwayne has a game, maybe maybe Winslow has a breakout performance, maybe you get something from Whiteside this year as opposed to last year. Uh, any of the teams, I, mean, I guess Indiana would be the one, but I I don't think I know you're you 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 think there's a little less gravity pulling on them. I I think they're probably going to settle it at four or five, which means that the Heat wouldn't play them. Yeah. So, so so yeah, any, I, I think they're going to be four or five. I can right. I can agree with you on that. Right. So, so I guess I, the other teams, like, do you see any matchup that, that maybe Miami could at least make interesting? Not after last year. And uh, I don't think this team is as good as last year's team. Um, uh, I just, I mean, the way the Sixers just sort of just kind of steam, steamrolled them, except for that one weight game. Um, I don't know. If, I, I think the teams that they want to face are better than that Sixers team that they got last year. And I don't think they're as good as they were last year. So no, I, I don't. I, if they make it to the playoffs, I don't expect it to be that long. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game. I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited. How would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime 
for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Of a run, um, mainly because the teams at the top are just so good right now. Whether if they, if they get Toronto or if they get Milwaukee, I just don't think that they could really challenge them in a, in a seven-game series. It, 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 like I said, the, the top four teams, um, unless you get a four or five matchup with Indiana or if Boston, Philly, Indiana, if one of those teams, those two teams meet in the first round, that's going to be entertaining. But other than that, those are the top three teams, I just I think it's going to be really, it's not going to be compelling at all in the first round. So for me, the most fascinating thing about the NBA is from a narrative standpoint, there's always going to be more teams that fail and have, you know, narrative fall on top of them uh, rather than the teams that succeed and triumph. So uh, for me, the fascinating thing about the Eastern Conference playoffs is that uh, to me, Milwaukee, they have a little bit of time, not a ton of time because Giannis is a free agent in two years time and, and most of their team is actually a free agent this year. But uh, you look at, you know, Milwaukee, they're a bit ahead of schedule. They're overachieving. I think generally the feeling is good. They have a new arena, and I don't think if they lose, it would be a catastrophe. It would be a little bit of disappointment, but not a catastrophe. But you look at the other three teams. Philly just went all in uh, in trading for Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. Uh, Boston, I don't know if, you know, the, the timeline is necessarily urgent, but they're a team that wants to win championships and, and acquire Anthony Davis and, and keep Kyrie Irving. Those aren't helped by going out in round two. And then you have Toronto, a team that uh, you know has a little bit of a safeguard for the future but it's still a team that wants to you know impress Kawhi Leonard and keep him and so which of those three teams do you think would have the biggest catastrophe if they went out in round two Philadelphia yeah. um I mean they, they all it all they all have a lot to lose but Philly is it's even um more scary because they went all in you know for this season you know they they sacrificed um a lot of talent and draft picks um, to go after Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris, who are both free agents, and they really need to maintain their stars. They got to keep them all together because if they lose them, they really won't have the money to sign a third star. Like if Tobias and Jimmy both leave this summer, 
they're going to be in a really tough spot because uh, um, Joel Embiid's already got his max extension. Ben Simmons is going to be eligible for his, and he's going to make sure that he gets it this summer. He's not waiting until after next year as a restricted free agent. He wants his money right now, and I'm pretty sure Rich Paul's going to make it very clear to the Sixers they better take care of him right now. Or we might see some situation similar to the Porzingis where a guy on the rookie deal like, get me out of here. So they're going to have to take care of him. The moment they do, that's going to eat up their, their cap space. So it's imperative that they make a deep run that, that convinces Jimmy and Tobias that they should stay there long term. Um, and if they don't, it, it could really be a, a, a real rough summer. Because last year they, they, had, they had money and they had the ability to sign free agents. They couldn't get a meeting with Paul George because he went ahead and signed with Oklahoma City before his free agency started. LeBron sent his agent to talk to them, so they didn't really talk to any, any marquee free agents. So the fact that they had to trade a lot, a lot of their future assets to get, you know, all-star caliber players right now, um, they have a lot to lose um, if things fall apart. Um, I mean, every team is all different levels, but I think that for the Sixers, they actually have two young pieces in under age 25 who they can build around and going forward. But a lot hinges on trying to find that third, third star, especially when you figure they, they sacrifice to give a Markel Fultz, former number one pick. This, this year as well. So they've given up a lot of their potential future to make a run this year, more so than any of these other teams. And I think that um, it could really, really be painful if they don't get out of the second round like last year. So let's go over to the West then, because now that LeBron's vacated, it creates the opportunity for all of these other teams. But LeBron may vacate the playoffs entirely at this stage. Um, you know, we go into the <laughs> second amazing. half. Of this, yeah, I mean, we go into the second half of the Just season. To say that. Nine. Well, I and it wouldn't have been the case if he hadn't missed all this time. They'd probably be fourth or fifth next right now. But I mean, they are ninth. Um, the Clippers have basically, you know, packed They're it tenth in now. Right? They're tenth behind the Clippers oh, and the Kings. That, that, that's right. I guess my assumption, Michael, is that, okay, you're right. They are 10th. I, I think, you know, with the Clippers trading Harris and kind of going the direction they're going, again, I would anticipate a little bit of gravity there and that they drop. But they still have to chase down the Kings. And I, I don't know what to make of that because we're not used to seeing the Kings in this position, but they have <laughs> really good young players who, I mean, we've seen them, you know, handle the heat here, um, which was impressive just the way that they went about it. And, and they just, I mean, they, they're, they're young, they're athletic, uh, they're relatively deep. They made a couple of uh, additions at the deadline. They might be able to get a buyout guy. They have money. Unlike other teams, they actually still have some cap space, which uh, you know, they may be able to accommodate someone. Um, what do you think of, of sort of that? How do you handicap that? Cause I guess the default is, okay, it's a couple of games. LeBron will make that up. But LeBron's got to stay healthy the rest of the season, and the Lakers have to stay functional. How do you handicap that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really crazy because, you know, LeBron has made the finals every year since 2011, and he hasn't missed the playoffs since 2005. So that is amazing if he's not able to get this team over the hump. And there are a lot of reasons to think that he can't, um, primarily because – that that team is was really broken um, by the uh, by the by the trade deadline, you know, and the fact that everybody was made available for <laughs> for Anthony Davis, and you know, there's it kind of when you're a young player and you, especially in the social media age, and all you consume is you know whatever's on Instagram or Twitter, and you keep reading it, you might be on the move. 
that messes up your head. And you could tell that it affected their play, especially that 42-point blowout in Indiana. You could see that, you know, it really affected them. But LeBron is 34, you know, and he's not a young guy. And coming back from that groin injury hasn't been as smooth as, you know, he probably wouldn't have anticipated. Um, you know, he's, he's still put up monster numbers because he's great. But in terms of having those numbers translate to wins, it's really tough, especially when you lose on the road in Atlanta. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens because it's not even just that the players are under pressure. Luke Walton's under pressure because, you know, if they don't make it to the playoffs this year, then he's out of there. And if they don't look impressive in the postseason, he's probably gone either way. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. I, I, I just sort of by default to say LeBron's there, they're going to get in. But the Kings are a fun team. And, you know, they got great young players. De'Aaron Fox is like one of my favorite guys right now. And then you look at a Buddy Heel, you know, a guy who's really come on strong. It's crazy because two years ago, after the DeMarcus Cousins trade, I thought that they were just like, wow, the Kings just don't have a clue. They don't know what they're doing. But now you can look at it and say that DeMarcus Cousins trade was a great deal for them to sort of have the foundation to, to go forward with uh with what they have now. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of young pieces. Marvin Bagley coming off the bench on that squad. Um, they just picked up Harrison Barnes, like you said. And so I, I feel like their position to, to really hold on to that. Of course, they've never played meaningful games. But in that same respect, neither have the Lakers outside of, say, LeBron and Rondo. You know, they have the advantage. They have at least two guys who have done it. But um, it'll be interesting to see because both teams are going to need young guys to step up and perform under pressure for the first time in their careers. And uh, I'm, 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 I'm intrigued to see who comes out on top. Get back to our episode. I want to introduce you to another great sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Berlitz Brower. This is the best place to learn a language in South Florida. I can speak to it personally. My daughter already fluent in English and Spanish. We decided to introduce her to Mandarin. She's not even five years old, and she's already out speaking Mandarin, knows all of the numbers up to 100, and she loves it. She loves to go back because the way that they work with her, the way that they teach her, and they also work with me as a parent with her schedule to make sure that it fits in with everything else she's doing. You can also learn languages as an adult, they teach many different languages there. Again, English, Spanish, Mandarin, Italian, German, right across the board. They teach virtually every language that you can possibly name. Here's the number that you call, 954-743-0077. That's 954-743-0077. Mention that Five Reasons sent you. They'll take care of you. Never too early to learn a new language. Hello, friends. This is Josh Appel from Smart Your Territory. And I'm Mr. Bill Eleven. And we are officially on the road to WrestleMania. It is point at the WrestleMania sign season, Bill. If, if you need to get to WrestleMania, we can be your Uber drivers on the road to WrestleMania. I mean, what? You ruined it. You, you ruined it. I, I like it. I think we could make some money doing that. WrestleMania season is here. Stick with us here on Smart Your Territory, the Five Reasons Sports Network's pro wrestling podcast. To me, the interesting thing is how LeBron, kind of the last few years, has been a guy that, I mean, yeah, he pressed to play 82 games last year, but we have seen him at times not necessarily, you know, try as hard as he can every game. I think we can tell what LeBron trying his hardest on both ends of the floor looks like, and he basically reserves it in the NBA Finals. Do you think at any point he uh, or that, you know, or the broader Lakers set him not that not that that team has the playoff experience to do this, but basically realizes that, oh, these last this last month of the year, these last six weeks, is basically the NBA Finals, and I'm, I'm going to have to ramp it up to that high of a level every single night? I'm sure LeBron's going to 
try to spread that message to them. And so it's Rondo. You know, Rondo has really been a guy who um, the young guys have responded to, probably more so even than LeBron. And I'm sure he'll he'll make it clear to them what this is all about right now. And we'll, and maybe since the trade deadline has passed and they went All-Star weekend, maybe a couple guys went on vacation, they come back and start feeling good. Like, you know what? Things aren't as bad as I thought they were. If I get traded this summer, so be it. I'm going to go hard and uh, improve my worth. <laughs> And maybe I can get a get traded somewhere and, and get a get a nice role somewhere else. Um, so maybe that's that's what they can do. You know, they can pitch that. You know, if you if you're feeling you know upset or you know, then just go ahead and take it out on on on, on the other on the opposition and just play your hardest. And there might be a reward on the other end. Maybe you stay here. Maybe you go to a better play, better situation where you can really. Um, showcase your skills. I think adding Lonzo Ball back healthy will be a, a big addition for them too. Um, but yeah, they just got to get their guys healthy. Because like I said, like you said, they were fourth or fifth before LeBron got hurt, and then things kind of fell apart. But there are a lot of things that contributed to that other than the injury. I think one of them was just mainly the chemistry was off. But they got they got to work on getting that back these last couple weeks. So one of the guys I always like to talk to you about is Kevin Durant, because I, I feel like his sort of public persona has changed so dramatically. And yet I know that you, you know, he's, he's had difficulties with the media over recent years. And I know that you have had a relationship with him. So I, I just yeah. ask, for, you know, as someone who deals with him regularly, has he changed that much? And, and I mean, has he changed with you? Has he changed with others in the media? Because I don't remember at the beginning of his career of him being sort of so confrontational about certain things and I guess so sensitive. And yet that is kind of when people say Kevin Durant now, that's what a lot of people think of. So is he different? Um, I, I, yeah, he is different, um, but he has to be. You know, he's, he's, he's a much uh, more in-demand talent now. Um, he's much more scrutinized now. Um, you know, playing at Oklahoma City shielded him from a lot of attention. It shielded him from a lot of negative publicity because, you know, when that sort of happens with a lot of a lot of guys, you know, when you're playing in a smaller market and you know you seem committed to that place, um, it sort of makes it easier for you to just um, you know kind of go float under the radar. I think that once he you know moved over to Golden State you know, everything changed, you know, and I think it's sort of a shock to his system that not only did a lot of people disapprove of his decision, but they continue to hold it against him and will never give him credit for what he accomplishes. And, you know, so I, I think that a lot of times he gets frustrated, he's human, and I think, you know, his main objective, and this is one thing I said from the minute he went to Golden State to to, to like now, the main reason he went there is because he wanted to beat LeBron. He wanted to go to a team where he knew he had the best chance to beat LeBron. And when he looked around the league and saw how every other team was built, he knew that there was not another team that was structured to beat LeBron like Golden State. And he beat LeBron twice. And finals MVP twice. Outplayed LeBron twice. And and it, it was going to help him in his mind get the status is whatever the best player in the game, whatever people, whatever that means. And even despite winning, despite outplaying LeBron, he, LeBron still considered the best player in the game. And I know that that's probably eat to him probably more than anything else. So it has been a frustrating time because he feels like he's not getting the props or the respect that his talents 
warrant and they would warrant. You know, I asked a question on Twitter the other day, is he underrated or underappreciated? Because I really feel like what he's accomplished right now is really special, you know. Um, but a lot of people just don't want to give him credit because they say, well, he joined a six, uh, you know, 73 win team. But, you know, again, I think that we just look at just the numbers and we don't actually look at the fact that despite the fact that the Golden State Warriors were winning 73 games that year, they were still recruiting him heavily through, through Draymond. You know, the players on that team knew that they were going to have to adjust if they were going to maintain this and turn it into a dynasty. And they knew that Kevin Durant was going to be the piece that could put them over the top. So it wasn't just a thing that, you know, Kevin was like, oh, I'm just going to go there. It was also a thing that this team said, hey, we need you. And that meant a lot to him. And that's one of the reasons why he went there is that it was going to give him opportunity that went beyond just playing basketball. It's going to help him professionally. It's going to help him his business-wise. It's going to help him, you know, um, grow just just from a, 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 an adult level. I mean, um, being in the Bay Area as opposed to, you know, Oklahoma City, going to open his eyes to different things. Um, and I think he's enjoyed it from that perspective. But from the media and the fan perspective, where no matter what he does, it seems like he can't escape, you know, um, being under somebody's shadow, whether it's LeBron's shadow as the best player of the game or even now Steph's shadow as being the engine of that team. Uh, I know it's been kind of frustrating for him. And when you look at the, the broader league landscape, and certainly Anthony Davis uh, fits into this, now sometimes the players invited upon themselves, as Paul George has and Anthony Davis has, by publicly demanding a trade. But do you think that this league moving in the direction of any time a player has his contract running down or is getting close or, you know, and, and, and then the the media buzz starts and we're, we're talking about it again and again about, you know, a, a, pending, a, a player's impending free agency or, or trade options. Do you think that the league, you know, now it's 18 months away from, from the expiring of your contract, that this is ultimately a good thing? Obviously, it generates interest, but, I mean, for, from a player's point of view, it has to get annoying that anytime your contract is running down, the questions will begin. Yeah, I think that's sort of where we are now. Um, we're in a place where the rumors and the gossip is what drives interest in the league. It's what has the fans buzzing. It has people talking. Everyone's excited. Um, you know, because you have this fantasy or this dream of this superstar player maybe playing for your team. And it, it keeps, you know, Lakers fans, Knicks fans, all these teams who are kind of that, that stink. It keeps their hopes alive that maybe there's there's a, some savior coming to rescue them. So I think that's just part of the, the um, it's part of the deal right now. And it's going to keep being that way um, until, you know, there's a shift. You know, maybe guys just say, you know what, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it out. I'm going to ride it out. I'm not going to be a super team chaser. I'm going to be a guy who wants to, you know, make, make it work where I am. Um, you know, maybe maybe the, the backlash, the resentment that some guys face will drive guys to stay. You know, um, you know, you look at, like I said, Durant, you know, leaving. I'm not saying he needed to stay in Oklahoma City. But the fact that it wasn't well received and it still hasn't been well received. Um, Anthony Davis, if he goes to the Lakers or anywhere else, if he maintains a role as a villain, which is one he's uncomfortable with, maybe guys will look at that and say, you know, I don't really want to go through that, you know. And plus, I'll still get paid a lot of money to stay. <laughs> uh, I don't really want that smoke. You know, I want to deal with just this and, and try to make it work here and, and live a good life. And, um, you know, I think that's sort of 
it may, may it may eventually shift. Or if you have a situation like Giannis Antetokounmpo, who has been adamant that he wants to stay in Milwaukee and they can work in Milwaukee. If you see a guy like him, you know, stay in Milwaukee, you know, uh, going on to his next contract, um, you know, and just says, I'm committed here, that more guys may see that, you know, the positive reception that a guy like Giannis gets for sticking it out with with his original franchise, it may, you know, may, may go, may be a better alternative than just becoming a villain for chasing a ring. Last one here from Michael Lee and the big question. I, I know you're picking Indiana for this, but I'll, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you get the answer. Uh, so, so real quick here, rapid fire. Cause I, Chris and I are still sorting this out, although I, I, you know, I'm sort of golden state until I see otherwise, but give me a champion and give me an MVP. Champion golden state MVP. Giannis onto the Kumpo. Okay. Well, that's Fair enough. So, uh, uh, do you give? Uh, let's say Giannis is in the finals. You give him any chance? I mean, can he steal? Is he at the LeBron stage where he can steal a series like that? He can't steal a series, but he can make it entertaining. And I, I think that the way the Bucks have been built, um, they've actually been built to sort of be the anti-Warriors, and you know, primarily because they have so much length, they have so much athleticism, and they have you know guys who can play multiple positions, can switch. Um, I like what they've built. And they sort of, and Giannis is a, a guy who can go on a rampage in the playoffs and can and can put a scare in the opposition. So I, I like the way they're built. I like their defensive mindset, and I like the fact that they have a coach who actually um, put together a system that can maximize the talents of everybody. And you know, obviously Jason Kidd wasn't the right coach for Milwaukee, but he was the right coach for Giannis because he allowed he unlocked his game in a way that I'm not, I'm not sure many coaches would, you know, having him test himself at five positions and especially a point guard, it allowed him to become this incredible Greek freak specimen that we see all the time who can basically do everything out there, but shoot threes. You know, it's funny talking about Jason Kidd because I was talking to an NBA writer who you and I know, I'm not going to mention him, but he's, uh, he's pretty close. <laughs> with, he's pretty close with Jason Kidd. They communicate pretty frequently and, Jason Kidd keeps texting him, asking him what he knows about the Laker job. So I'll just leave it at that. I, I think, uh, I think that's, that, that, that's been something that uh, that's been something that's been out there for a while. LeBron, I think LeBron at this stage needs to play for somebody who he considered to be somewhat close to the level uh, that he was at. He's never really had that. I guess Paul Silas yeah. is probably the best player that he ever played for, but I, I just don't. I'm with you. I don't think Luke's going to survive this thing. I think once they didn't make the trade, I. I think he's going to get shuffled aside, and, and Eric Spolster is going to be the one guy who survived uh, all of the uh, all of the LeBron, you know, machinations uh, when it comes to. Coaching. And you know what? And I don't know if LeBron will ever say it or if he's ever said it, but Spolstra gets credit to me for being the guy who truly unlocked LeBron and brought about the two best seasons that we've seen from him. All right. I and I don't. I mean, I, I think that that those back-to-back finals. I mean, those back-to-back MVPs. Um, I think that was just that, that was just an incredible run. I mean, LeBron's been awesome his whole career, but those two years when he really embraced analytics and embraced his role as a playing uh, shooting threes and figuring out how to develop a post game, I give a, a lot of credit to the Heat and what they did and that staff and um, and helping him really see his potential and just how great he could be. Because we all knew he was just an incredible athlete, and he could do so much on the court. But I think he really became a basketball player in Miami. And I give a lot of credit to Spo and and Pat Riley and, and everybody in that Heat organization um, for uh, opening his eyes to what he could be 
and then he went to Cleveland and did some other amazing things. But that those that back to back run after that finals humiliation, what LeBron came back as is just just incredible. Why, why yeah, do you, think, why, why do you think that LeBron doesn't have respect for almost any coach he's had in his career, and has almost always one of them changed? It's the curse of being probably the smartest guy that's played the game. <laughs> I mean, he's 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 like a genius of basketball. I mean, he knows what everybody out there is going to do, what they have done, and he studies the game really hard. Um, he knows every position, how they're supposed to play, what they're supposed to do. And a lot, if you don't have a coach that's on that level of intelligence and can't really do anything to challenge him, then it's going to be difficult for him to make that connection. I think that's sort of been his issue for a good part of his career is that if he doesn't believe or trust you or have confidence that you're giving him information that he doesn't already know, then it's going to be hard for him to buy in. Um, but I think that I, I like what Pat Riley did. And, you know, when things got a little shaky early on in there, he's like, you know, this, this is your coach. This is my coach. This is our coach. And you're going to deal with it. And that's what happened. And um, and I, I don't think there were any regrets from the heat. And I'm sure LeBron, he's being real with himself, will say it was the best thing for his career that nothing no change did occur yeah well he sounds like spo all the time now which is funny to me i mean he he repeats these spoisms he started doing it his first couple of years in cleveland and it's just it, it, it's funny like he is i i know that heat fans don't like to acknowledge it and he doesn't like to acknowledge it but he's kind of become an embodiment in some ways of heat culture now not the oh absolutely under, yeah not the undermining you know coaches part or the you know, fit in or fit out stuff on, on Instagram, but about Twitter, but, but some of the other stuff, the demands that he makes on others are the demands that the heat made on him. And, and I, I just think that hasn't gotten recognized enough. And also I agree with you, his 2012, 2013 season is one of the five best seasons in NBA history. Um, what he yeah. did during the 27 game winning streak, it's right behind Dwayne Wade's 2008, 2009 for which Dwayne should have won the MVP over LeBron. But that's a, that's a subject for another day. That's still a sore subject. Uh, with Heat fans, Michael, we we appreciate you taking the time. Um, enjoy the game uh, up in Philadelphia, and uh, and hopefully we'll see you down here uh, for a playoff. I mean, maybe a maybe a, a Philly Miami uh, reprisal or Boston Miami. I'll get a chance to see you then. But thanks again. Again, follow him uh, at. Uh, actually, let me do this. Again. What's your? I always forget your. Did you change your at? Or are you still Mr. Michael Lee? I'm still Mr. Michael Lee. Yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure because I know the athletic guys have all stuck that in there somewhere. So. Uh, oh yeah. Nah. Okay. Make sure you follow him at Mr. Michael Lee on Twitter. Also check out all his work on the athletic. We do advise you to subscribe to the athletic. Um, we, uh, we've got a lot of uh, people down in our market, obviously six writers, all of whom have now, except for one Shandell, our buddy, Michael, who can't get up for a podcast with me, but the other five hold <laughs> on podcasts with us. And uh, we'll continue to do them uh, with them over the next year. Talk soon. for listening to the Fire in the Pocket. Thank you so much. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.